You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hello, Limited Upside fans. This is Todd Vanderwerf. I am here with a listening recommendation for you. It's my podcast. I think you're interesting. Every week I talk to some of the most interesting people who are shaping arts and entertainment culture, and the media. Names you might know, names you might not know. Some of our recent guests have included Academy Award-winning documentarian Errol Morris, David Lowry, director of A Ghost Story, and some of my favorite film critics discussing their favorite summer movies of the 21st century. You can find I Think You're Interesting on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast, team preview number 18. It's one I've been looking forward to because I love this team and I'm really excited to talk about them. It's the Milwaukee Bucks. Surprising last year, Giannis Antetokounmpo taking the world by storm. They make the playoffs. They have the playoff breakout. It all seems like it's on a nice, solid upward trajectory. But as we talk on this podcast, it's not quite so simple. There's actually quite a bit of urgency and quite a bit of reason to be a little worried about the long-term future of this team, even though they have the most unique player in the league and a superstar that they frankly have not had in decades. We'll have Kevin McCauley, who's SB Nation's soccer editor, but also a Milwaukee Bucks fan. And we have Mitchell Maurer from brewhoop.com, our great Milwaukee Bucks site. And we get into a lot of this sort of what makes this season such an intriguing one for Milwaukee. We talk a lot about Giannis. We talk about Jabari Parker. Obviously, he's got two ACL surgeries. And how does he fit in to the long-term plans? That's a tough one. We talk a little bit about some of the other players in the team. But most importantly, I think for folks who are looking to get a little more insight in this team, we talk about some questions with coaching in the front office. They had a bizarre GM search this summer, uh, and we talk about how Giannis now is on, they're on the clock with him. They have four years where they have to really build the best team they can around Giannis, around this great player. And this year, starting this year, it's actually quite an important season. And there are some really good omens. They have some really intriguing players. They have a roster that's easy to root for, but there are also some concerns, and so we get into that in this show. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. You can find us on iTunes at Limited Upside. Leave us a review. We appreciate the feedback, good and bad, especially if it comes with suggestions on how to continue to improve this show as we go on into the season and talk to the rest of our team previews coming up. Um, you can also send us questions for any of those team previews. Tweet us at limited underscore upside, and we'll ask your question right on the show. We've done it for many of our shows, and we'll do it for this one. So send us those questions. You can also find us anywhere you get your podcast: Google Play, Stitcher, uh, all those Spotify, all those different places, and on SBNation.com. But until that, enjoy this Milwaukee Bucks preview. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. back limited upside team previews and ben this is a team i'm very excited to talk yeah, we about. made it like we're finally we finally here. got to the yeah. 18th team that i circled on the calendar is like <laughs> that's the team i want the milwaukee bucks and had a great fun season last year a lot of upside but sort of an interesting situation in their market i think we've got two of our favorites on the show to talk about this we got kevin mccauley he's SB Nation soccer editor but he's also a humongous milwaukee bucks fan you can catch his uh 
you'll catch his angry Bucks tweets all season. <laughs> uh, we also have Mitchell Maurer from Brew Hoop. He's a managing editor. Uh, and friends, in a word, and either of you guys can t- answer this question first, like what is the mood of the fan base after what happened last year, which was kind of a pleasant surprise, and you see the emergence of Giannis and a fun first-round series? What is the mood of the fan base? Is it as excited as I am? I, I want to say yes. I want to say that excitement is the word to choose, but honestly, the word I'm going to choose is cautious, and I'll tell you why. Hmm. Because that's, that's probably a bit of a surprise, isn't it? Yeah. Very so, much so. Uh, I'll, uh, myself, you know, I started following the team back in the mid '90s when I was, you know, old enough to understand what sports actually were. Um, myself and other player people in my age bracket, like we haven't been in this position before, where we have a top ten player that's so young and on the rise and on the cusp of, you know, being one of the elite players in the game. Uh, we just we don't really know how that is because we've been so mediocre for decades. You know, the early 2000s is when the team was good enough to you know do some pretty interesting things, but that wasn't sustainable. So between that and just all the upheaval surrounding the team with you know new ownership coming in and some of the mistakes that ownership has made and the transition from a new arena, a new practice facility, new offices, brand new branding, new jerseys, new logos, new everything. <laughs> it's a lot to take in. It's it's just a lot and. You know, Wisconsin fans, if they're not focused on the Packers, like they're used to disappointment. Like the Bucks have consistently been disappointing. The Brewers have been consistently disappointing. And I think they're better lately, but I'm not a baseball guy. Um, so cautious and, and is the word real. I have to use. And let's be real, they find a way to be disappointed with the Packers anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> like this is just how Wisconsin sports fans are. It feels like if you can get upset about having like, the most transformational quarterback of a generation, then you can get upset about anything. Which ultimately, including the most transformational yeah, player, young star yeah, in a long yeah, time. Right. Kevin, do you share that sort of apprehension? Uh, my word was going to be optimistic, so I guess the nice. the best two word answer is cautiously optimistic. <laughs> yes. Um, I I like I get why everyone's feeling kind of you know cautious or like the you know everything isn't going to come together and we're going to, and we're going to waste the potential of the best basketball player that the Bucks have had since Kareem. But, (laughs) um, you know, all of the things that, that Mitchell just mentioned is like reasons to be really excited about what's about what's happening. Uh, you know, clearly the front office has made some mistakes, which I'm sure we're going to, we're going to get into, but I don't think any of them are like horrible, deadly errors that the team can't come back from, uh, for the most part, it's been it's been good, and I think there's reason to believe that they can correct the the errors that they've made and put something really great around Giannis and actually you know compete to win the Eastern Conference within the next couple of years, oh, if not say, this year. I was Ooh. gonna say you, you had to attach the attach the within the next couple of years, and you <laughs> yeah. paused for a long time to get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder like what the expectation is with a window when you you know we just talked a, a little bit about the youth of the best player and sort of the maturation that he's even going to go through over the next two, three, four years, physically, mentally, and then ultimately just his understanding of what he can accomplish on the court, which seems to be limitless in a lot of ways. So kind of what is that expectation right now? Um, I know there's we just did like a word of um, you know, emotion, but what is the actual level-headed expectation moving into next season off of last year's you know, success, like, like Mike said, with a lot of upside to think about? 
So I think when we talk about expectations, one of the things that I try to do is I try to remain realistic. Like I don't want to go off the deep end with thinking, oh, this is going to be a 65-win team and they're going to you know, take the Cavs to seven in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like that's just, that's just not realistic. I think that improving on last year is, especially with all the continuity we saw the Bucks follow over the offseason. They didn't make any huge moves. You know, The only big contract they signed was Tony Snell in restricted free agency, which happened at 12 1 a.m. after the moratorium was lifted uh, and everything else was you know pretty low-key there weren't any big changes so it's reasonable to expect internal development to really push the team past the 42 win total they got last year uh the playoffs have to be just an assumed expectation there's no room to oh maybe they'll make the playoffs no they have to make the playoffs there is simply no room to debate that honestly they should be aiming for a top four seed the Eastern Conference has had enough stars leave for the West for whatever reason that there's just there's this massive void after the Cavs, the Celtics and the Wizards Thank that you. I think the yes, you're welcome. It's I'm just being honest, but it's there's no reason why the Bucks cannot be a top four seed in the playoffs. That would be, I think, very realistic. And I guess the question is. Let's transition into what I really wanted to do with this podcast, which is like, <laughs> just talk about one player. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Giannis took a leap, I think, that nobody – I mean, I don't know. Did you guys expect last year? I don't think anyone no, did. No, absolutely, absolutely not. So, like, what – Well – Ooh, go okay. on. I mean, po- yes. Po- so, so, point Giannis, the experiment that happened after the All-Star break two years ago, like, that's when we started seeing a lot of this stuff. When Jason Kidd gave Giannis the keys – Two seasons ago, after the All-Star break, you know, the team was already, you know, kind of out of it. So Kid was like, well, screw it. Let's just try this. And it worked. And it was fantastic. And then after even that experiment was a success, Giannis got better. He got stronger. He got his skills more finely tuned. And then last year was the result of all that work is that you have the, uh, a player the size of a center that can handle the ball like a one that can just do everything at all the time. And it's, it's unprecedented. It really is. So, and the point Giannis experiment was kind of a preview of that. I don't think it was going to be like this. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't think he was going to be a top 10 player like he was last year. Yeah. I think we saw obviously glimpses. It's just so hard sometimes to take much from the second half of a year where your team is not good and you're playing out the string and it's sort of, these games don't mean anything. And it was just the other thing, too, is I, I'm not sure that you can point to like a skill that's like, yeah, he improved that one skill and that opened up so much for him. He was just kind of better at everything uh, yeah. on a level that I think was sort of absurd. So I'll just because I love the dude, I'm just going to phrase this question in a very simple way. What is Kevin? What is your favorite part about rooting for Giannis? <laughs> I think the the. And this is like a really, really obvious, like cliche thing to say, but it's the, the like the end to end highlight plays, the yeah, the, the times when he like he gets a rebound or a steal and goes from that to dunk in like three or four steps. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's every single time I see, and he does it like once a game, but every single time I see it, it's just it doesn't get it doesn't get old, and my brain doesn't process it. Like I haven't learned that that's a normal thing that that he can do to to take the ball and go 80 feet for a dunk in like four or five steps is something that really a human being should not be able to do. I have this like uh, 
a vision in my head. You know how like Guitar Hero, it, it puts the notes you have to hit in front and then you, your fingers, uh, you know, equate the, the notes that you're hitting. Mm-hmm. And, like you can see it in front, right? Like the blueprint is in front of you and you have to mu- muscle memory the way to play the song, right? I know it's a little Guitar Hero is sort of an outdated reference, but that is what comes to mind. In my head, I'm thinking this guy is practicing what a Eurostep looks like from the three-point line, what a Eurostep or one dribble and a Eurostep looks like from half court. And knowing that the, like that code is in his DNA for basketball and he is so young and there's so much more ability there to be tapped into, it kind of feels like the court isn't big enough for this specific player and his specific skill set. It's not. It's not. And, and with that in mind, as he learns more of those, you know, the notes that are coming ahead of time, he's just going to anticipate where to, where to be and what plays to make. And it just openly... Uh, op- ultimately makes him more of a facilitation will become easier from the point guard, Giannis, and at the same time, so will scoring, you know, and, and understanding you can really go up on anybody. And as the league gets smaller and centers are getting phased out, he's bigger than the power forwards that are going to be, quote-unquote, at the rim facing him. Yeah, to make another music analogy, imagine if you had a song that just didn't have verses, <laughs> yeah. that you would just hop ahead to the chorus, hop ahead to the chorus. Freestyling. No. <laughs> and then and then you have a bridge and then you hop ahead to the chorus and you just like skip the like kind of boring steps that you have to take <laughs> to get to the chorus. Like that's Giannis playing basketball and like his Euro step just travels so far. Yeah. <laughs> and he just he does it in such weird ways. Like so I always used to love just like kind of circling, like, oh he picked up his dribble here. Let's see how far <laughs> he can he can go uh to actually do that. And and the other thing I like is it's just because he's the point guard, you can just invert entire plays. Like where it's like, oh, Matthew Delvadova and Brogdon are screening for him, and then he can kind of go on the next play and screen for them. And it's, I, I, I am a big fan now. I think I love the NBA, but I think <laughs> that there is a little bit of a little bit of sort of structural. Everyone kind of plays, starting to play a similar way. So I love players and teams that are just a little bit different. And Milwaukee and Giannis are so different. That's my favorite yeah. thing. Yeah, Mitchell, if you had to pick one thing aside from the jump shot that you'd like to see him improve upon this year, because obviously there's a lot of stuff last year. He made massive leaps in his you know holistic <laughs> yep. game, right? What, Very what, massive. Ma- ma- massive leaps, step leaps yes. kind of across pun, the court. Pun inadvertently um, intended there. So what would it be for you? So yeah, shooting is the obvious one. Everybody wants, you know, oh, if Giannis gets a shot, he's going to be unguardable. Well, I mean, he's not really guardable now. So shooting isn't the thing he needs to work on. With all the all the the praise and all of the accolades that people heap upon him, like I really don't think Giannis is that good of an on-ball defender. I think he's an hmm. elite help defender. He is outstanding off the ball. That's where he gets the majority of his blocks and steals because of his length and his timing. But his defensive footwork when he's covering somebody like face to face is good. It's not great, and it can be great. And his lateral agility is something that he's struggled with because he's so huge and so – like his limbs are so long that he, his, the mechanics of his body just work differently than most coaches have, I'm, I'm, I would imagine have ever seen. And so as he improves that, as he works on the muscles in you know, his upper leg, his, his hips, his core, like he's going to become the kind of defender that like – if that person he's checking has the ball, they're just going to have to give it up because what else are they supposed to do against a seven-foot monster that can stay with you step for step? Like right now, he, he can't stay step for step with everybody, but I think that that is an area that if he improves, I think it's there, and I think he can, and that would just 
I, I don't have the words. I don't have words for Giannis. I've run out of words. <laughs> the Bucks, I think, were smart to make him more of like sort of the sweeper on the back line, the rim protector this year. I, I yeah. noticed that a little bit more in their scheme. Obviously, they play so hyper-aggressive. But it seems like they've taken some of the on-ball responsibilities off him because of what you said. They realize that, I mean, if he just did verticality all the time, he'd be better at it than almost anyone in the league. Um, I sort of think he needs, he still needs a little more craft, right? I mean, he's In half-court situations, he's still not, I would say, unless he's better, a lot better than he was before. But it's like if you saw a little bit in the playoffs, like you can kind of put certain people on him and he doesn't really have a great back-to-the-basket game yet, which I think he he ultimately needs. Um, He still needs a little bit more sort of when he's in tight spaces, the footwork to get around rather than kind of being able to back up all the way and use the space. I feel like he needs a little more of that, you know, because, I mean, how good – this is a question we've been getting – we got from a couple of different people. um, From Courtney Kennedy, is he the second best player in the East? And the other question, I think, with Giannis is, like, are we at the point where he has to win a playoff series for – I mean, are we at the pendulum swing – that he normally is, where he has to, he now has to win a playoff series. You know, he had his taste. He has to win a playoff series. If he doesn't win a playoff series, it says something about where he stacks up on the very, very best players in the game. Is that a fair statement, Kevin? I don't think so, um, because he's, you know, he's 22 years old, and I think that the roster around him, especially without Jabari, is not a top four or five roster in the East, um, mm-hmm. and he's got four years left on his contract. So, you know, for me, you know, if it, obviously we expect Giannis to make make a leap and be uh, the second best player in the East this year and win a playoff series, I think that's what everybody's expecting out of the Bucks this year. But I think it would be really unfair to say like, oh, he's, you know, stagnated or he can't reach that absolute top level if he doesn't win a playoff series this year. He's, you know, he's young and he's got a lot of time left. And uh, I don't think the supporting cast around him is... I mean, it's, it's acceptable, I guess, but it's not anything special. How important was it for him to get Chris Middleton back and get reps last year moving forward into this season where they got to kind of figure out how to play together? That was, I, I mean, I think that was probably huge. And yeah. Middleton clearly wasn't wasn't at his, at his best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he was still, even in, even in the playoffs, which is, you know, 30 games into his kind of recovery, he was still, it still looked like he was working his way back. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody's expecting Middleton to be, you know, back to that like borderline, maybe all-star level this year. And I think he really has to be, especially with Jabari out, he really has to be for the Bucks to have a chance to do anything more than just, you know, put up a decent record, put up a decent showing in the, in the playoffs. Uh, That's, I guess, something we could probably talk more about is how, how big Middleton is because I don't think the Bucks yeah. are going anywhere unless he he has you know gets back to his old form from two years ago. His value was very apparent while he was out, and I think Middleton's also. And Mike, I think he's one of the players kind of talks directly to the type of players you like in the NBA. Oh, I, feel I like, like Chris yeah, Middleton's like a very Prada guy. Um, how does that relationship work? And Mitchell, like, let's let's move a little bit into this. Everything in this podcast will be contextualized through the lens of Giannis. So we'll. Maintain yeah, you, sure. you ruined my Don't. attempts to hijack this <laughs> no, into gonna, the Giannis pod. We will do plenty of Giannis talk here. With that in mind, like, how important is the, call it, 
injuries have affected the timelines here because they've been staggered with actually seeing the complete team together. But talk me through a little bit of uh, you know what you saw with again Middleton coming back last year, what you expect from them this year, and then same thing with Jabari coming off you know another ACL. Sure. So you're exactly right. Like injuries to Middleton and Jabari Parker respectively have completely put the timeline for those three to grow and develop together in Milwaukee in flux. Mm. Um, with Parker's second knee injury coming during the same game <laughs> that Middleton comes back from tearing his hamstring off the bone. Oh, man. Like it's, it's, it's gruesome, right? Terrible. But also like there's no way – there's literally no way for those three players to know – how to coexist on the court together, not because they can't, but because they've never had the chance in a game situation. Um, and, you know, the clock is ticking. Like, Giannis has got four years on his deal. He's going to be around for a while. But Chris Middleton has got two years before a player option, and he's not going to take that option because he's worth way more than what the salary would be. Yeah. And Jabari is eligible for an extension today and if he doesn't get one before the season starts which he probably won't but that's a separate topic um he's gonna you know, he could be in restriction free agency next year and then what does that mean do the bucks like match any contract is there a number that they say you know what thanks but no thanks we can't afford that it's just it's so hard to know because Giannis is so versatile and chris middleton is extremely versatile like you know a guard that's got the size of a power forward that can hit threes at an elite rate and do all the other things that he also does. And Jabari, who is like this preternatural scorer who's so naturally gifted at getting buckets on one end, but gives up just as much, if not more on the other. It's just the, the team hasn't had the opportunity to figure those three things out. And there really isn't a ton of time left for them to do exactly that. Yeah. And dude, you know, what's so frustrating is that this this year is essentially a a lost year in that in that respect. I mean, it's not a lost year for the Bucks because they still have, you know, Giannis and a really good team, and they're still going to make the playoffs. But you know, with Jabari's knee injury, he's going to come back at some point this season. But we know he's not going to be anywhere near his best for the first you know twenty games or so that he's back, which might be the entirety of the regular season games that he plays this year if the Bucks are lucky. So, yeah, uh, best case scenario here is, you know, round first round of the playoffs is the first kind of set of games where Jabari is feeling like confidence in his in his body and his game and is ready to go. Like that's that's the best case scenario. Basically, for the whole right for the whole regular season, there's no chance that all three of those guys are going to be able to play together all, you know, healthy. Right. I mean, and that, that, on top of their game. That's a challenge. And I mean, is Parker going to be the sixth man when he comes back? You know, are they because they did play. I think that their net rating was better with Middleton and without Parker. Right. I mean, they yes, had their best was. stretch. And but of course, if Parker is not being maximized with Giannis, then what's the whole point of this whole thing, really? I mean, right. Right. And there's a chance that if they all had a if they all had a preseason together, they all got to start, you know, beginning of the regular season together all healthy and work all all the kinks that by the end of the season the bucks best lineup would feature all three of them on the floor and it would work out really well but like we saw with the first knee injury with jabari the first uh like 30 games that he was back even you know 30 to 40 games it he wasn't he wasn't himself it took him a while to like really get going Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, we saw the same thing with with Middleton last year. He was during the, the regular season. He wasn't great. And 
uh, in the playoffs, he kind of started to to get it going again. So it's not that those guys are necessarily like not a good fit or that they can't play together. It's that we we still haven't seen them together healthy, and we're still not going to see them together at the top of their games this season. So we don't know. Yeah, it's a real shame, and I would say that it's not necessarily like oh a simple fit. Like like you said, they need some time to work out. Uh, some of the kinks. Gentlemen, I got to run. It's been real here. And I, I really, really wish I could stay and continue talking. <laughs> it kills me to have to leave this conversation. Um, but again, thanks for coming on here, Mike. We'll continue this yeah. uh, pod. So uh, in light of Jabari talk, um, and we talked a lot about Middleton, I'm going to present the devil's bargain question we ask everyone, uh, which we do an NBA version of this call of the Do Mary Kill. I'm sure you guys know that game. Yes? Ah, uh, very well. Yeah. Very well, huh? Uh, you played it a lot. Uh, let's 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 stay on task. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> okay. Very well then. Okay. Um, we call it max play trade. So you pick one of these three players to max out. One of these three players to sort of see, give them more playing time and kind of see what they can do. And one of these play, three players to trade. Obviously, in an ideal world, you'd like to keep all three of these players and metaphorically max them all because if you max them all obviously that's bad for your cap space but this uh, i think is a really good way to kind of convey how important they are to the peck in the pecking order of the team jabari parker malcolm brogdon don i guess mccurr don mccurr not don maker those three players you have to max uh, one you have to play one and you have to no, get rid of one i don't i don't want to play i want to get off the ride i don't want to play this i'm sorry <laughs> Ooh. I know. I want to keep them all too. I love them all. I'm just saying, if you had you had to pick one to do all these things, max play trade. I'll start because I, I thought about this. And really, it, it pains Mitchell too much to think about. Oh so I'm gonna, God! What are we? What do you do? I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give you five minutes. Uh, okay. Uh, it's not going to be five minutes, but I'm going to give you a little time here. Um, okay. Cool. This as much as this as much as this hurts me, uh, I think that you have to trade Jabari. Um, and I, I hate saying that just because as not just as a basketball player, but as a person, I absolutely love Jabari Parker and I wish that he could play for the Bucks forever. But if I'm, you know, the GM having to make these decisions, I think it's it's pretty clear that like the best best business decision is not to give a max contract to this guy who's had who's had two ACLs, um, especially if he if he comes back at some point this season and looks okay uh during his you know whatever small run of games that he has uh i think that will give him a a trade market and it's a it's going to be a better trade market than uh you would have for for brogdon or uh for thon uh as far as the other the other two um man this is hard Mm -hmm. um i'm a you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna play brogdon and i'm gonna max thon all right, um, already. Oh After my what he showed yeah. last year. It's because I as much I I really love Malcolm Brogdon and I think that he's going to be a a great player in the NBA for a long time and he's the kind of guy where like even even if he's not a star every every team needs a guy like that who can who can guard a couple positions, who can handle the ball, who can shoot, um who can do a little bit of everything and uh you know, sounds like he's a he's a leader in the locker room too even though he's a is a rookie. So like that's great, but I'm I saw enough from from Thon last year that I'm I'm all in, and it was weird watching the the Toronto series and watching a lot of Bucks fans complain about his play. Like 
You know, this guy's 19 years old, and yeah. I didn't expect him to do anything last right. year. The Bucks didn't expect him to do anything. Yeah, I expected him to get some garbage time minutes, get used to being being a professional, get a feel, little bit of a feel for the speed of the game, and then this year would be effectively his rookie year. That's what I expected to happen. Um, he so far exceeded my expectations that I would be I would be surprised if he didn't develop into a really really damn good NBA starter. Yeah, I mean that all makes a lot of sense. So Mitchell, you have been given some time to think about this terrible question. Uh, do you have? It's it's the worst question. I'm very upset about it. The the one so I I agree with all of Kevin's logic. I truly do. I have a serious reservation about giving Thon a max for you know within this little this little question we create for ourselves because it's not that he's limited he's actually you know it was a very successful rookie season he's an ideal complement to Giannis because of all the different things he can do and how unique they are from the center position but is he going to be the player that has the opportunity to make that big of an impact Malcolm Brogdon I think will he's definitely a little bit more low-key uh, but much more steady, much more of a safe bet. I might switch between Max and play. I might Max Brogdon play Thon, but I can certainly – I wouldn't be upset with the opposite, what you said. Oh, but I, I hate this, yeah. but I would have to agree that trading Jabari is the right choice because with his injury history, his complete lack of defensive acumen displayed from the forward position – like he he could evolve past his injuries to become Carmelo Anthony, but what is that going to do for your team? Right. Like no no not to not to throw shade at Melo, but like Melo hasn't done very much. Right. That's I don't want that for for my squad. So I I yeah I'd, I'd have to say Max Brogdon play Thon Trey Jabari, and I'm very sad. Yeah. Again, just to be clear to everybody. It, this is not something it's not like you actually have to in real life do this you would want all of them to thrive i think we ask this question because it's a proxy for how important are these players to the future of the team you know where do they stand yeah. and sort of amongst each other and i think you know we've gotten a lot of questions about jabari including from our old friend tm warning and you're seeing that through circumstances that aren't necessarily his own his own cause yeah. you know he got hurt all this twice with very serious injuries, it's really hard to figure out exactly how he fits into where the vision is now that it's a very Giannis. We know that before I think the thought was, okay, Giannis and Parker are the cornerstones and everything works for them. Now I think the answer is more Giannis is the cornerstone. We've got to – that, that's the dude. And everybody's got to make sense with him. And you look at Maker and uh, – or McCurr and uh, – Brogdon, they their games make more sense with Giannis than Jabari does. So you're seeing the dilemma. Yeah, the thing with with McCurr and and um, and Brogdon is that their games make sense with with anyone. Right. Um, That's true. It's not just with with Giannis. It's with Giannis and whoever the Bucks. Let's say they they trade Jabari and they have either uh, a really high draft pick or cap space and they can they can sign a, a number two score. Like let's say Middleton walks and it's not going to be him and they have the money to sign a number two score of any kind to, to play with Giannis. Uh, it can be anybody because Brogdon and McCurr can play with whoever that guy is. Whereas Parker is, you know, the the type of dude where is as talented as he is and as good as I think he can be, 
somebody who you need to build around to accentuate their strengths and mask their weaknesses. Absolutely. And, you know, it's important to have players you can play with anyone when you have uh, seven foot, like, long, longer than the, um, you know, a giraffe. That doesn't make any sense. Giraffes don't have arms. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> <laughs> point, you know, point guard. You know, you, you especially then is when you need players that are versatile and can fit in with a lot of people. So just really fascinating. We're going to take a little quick break for a read from the sponsor. And then we're going to talk about, you know, we talked about what makes the Bucks so exciting. I think we're going to talk a little bit about where this team is going and trust and management and the coaching staff because I think it's all connected. And I think Bucks fans are very divided on those issues. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. If you're like me, you know you have to shave, but you don't like doing it. The razors are expensive, the gel is expensive, you have to kind of switch them out a lot, and you cut yourself while shaving, you've got to use all this product in order to have your skin moisturized. It's just not a very fun experience, and it never was a fun experience for me, and I really didn't want a beard. That changed when the Dollar Shave Club came to my inbox. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. It's got this great Dr. Carver shave butter, it feels really smooth coming off your skin, it actually makes the act of shaving fun, and I love that. And it's also a great deal. You can get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. They send it to you in the mail. You don't have to go to the store. You don't have to get either a really expensive razor or a cheap disposable razor that gets a crappy shave. You don't have to do any of that. It comes right to your door. It's a great life hack and a great no-brainer choice. And it's got this amazing butter that feels so good on your skin. It almost doesn't look like shaving cream it's nice and clear and it just doesn't feel like shaving cream and you don't have to get all those other products in order to have your face properly moisturized it's a terrific deal you get all the stuff you need in shaving in one with the dollar shave club and now lucky you for a limited time new members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of their dr carver shave butter for only five dollars a month with free shipping and after that, raises are just a few bucks a month and you can quit at any time if you don't like it. That's a $15 value for only five bucks. And in that first month's box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of pork cartridges, and a tube of the shave butter, all for just five bucks. And after the first month, these replacement cartridges ship automatically at the regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments, cancel anytime you like. But you can only get this offer exclusively through the Limited Upside podcast. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash upside in order to take advantage. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash upside. Dollar Shave Club, the smarter, more convenient, and more comfortable way to get a close shave. We're back. Limited upside Milwaukee Bucks preview. We've got Kevin McCauley, the SB Nation soccer editor and a big Milwaukee Bucks fan. We've also got Mitchell Maurer from brewhoop.com. And I want to, one thing we've yet to talk about, um, and I think it's all connected, and this is a big question, is Giannis is 
whether the Bucks like it or not, whether there's that whole mid, little weird controversy about what Woj said on a podcast about the you know, the Bucks being on the clock and Giannis tweeting his loyalty and all that. Like the fact is, is that now four years is a long time, but it's not as long as it seems. You know, now is the time to really they are on the clock. I guess the question to, to start this off in, and I think this is relevant after what happened this summer with the front office, like how much trust is there, Mitch, Mitchell, among Bucks fans with the coaching staff and what's going on in the front office? I mean, how much of a concern is all that? So I said at the top that caution was the word that I chose to describe the fan base's feelings, and the coaching staff in front office is a very big reason for why fans might be choose caution over optimism. Uh, Jason Kidd is a very polarizing figure in the Bucks fan base. Uh, there's few fans that like overtly like Kidd as a coach. I happen to be one of them, but I recognize them in the minority on it. Uh, he's a weird coach. He's you know definitely does not have a ton of coaching experience. Although I would go so far to say is that you know the first years he had you know in Brooklyn, and then his early years in Milwaukee so far. Like he's definitely gone through growing pains. That's to be expected. Um, but he's, he's constantly experimenting and tinkering with lineups and rotations while really strictly adhering to a system that has a lot of flaws. Like the, the offense is not, doesn't really display a ton of imagination. Um, and the defense is super high reward, but super high risk because of all of the corner threes that are given up. And if opponents make those threes, there's virtually no way to generate enough turnovers to make up for the discrepancy there. So a lot of people see kid and how they basically they're predisposed to, you know, being risk averse. They're not going to like him if they're okay with taking a risk for some big payoff. And they might be more likely to like him. Um, it's just, it's one of those things that's, it's really hard to kind of pin it down because there's a really complicated, uh, opinions swirling around about Jason Kidd from the moment he stepped in the door with that whole mess with Larry Drew getting pushed out before he even knew that Kidd was getting hired slash traded for from Brooklyn. Uh, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that's very, it was very messy from the start and a lot of Bucks fans continue to kind of carry that with them as they consider kid going forward. Yeah. The, an issue that I have with Jason Kidd is that I don't know if he was continuing being experimental in the playoffs because he knew that it just, it wasn't the Bucks year to, to win a title. So we might as well try some some weird stuff against Toronto or if he was like actually trying to win the games and was making bad decisions. What were among the bizarre decisions just so that readers or listeners understand? Cause I, I, I remember, but what were some things that were in particular were just like, what, why is he playing this player? Why are they playing this strategy? Like what, what are you, what sort of things are you talking about? His usage of Monroe was, was the weirdest that like he would, he would play Monroe when, when the matchups were were bad, when the yeah. uh, when Toronto had somebody in there who could guard him or somebody in him who could exploit him on defense, but when Toronto would have like nobody on the floor that would guard him and and Moose was hot at the same time, he like wouldn't put him back into the game, and he did the same thing with with Thon. Like he, when when Thon was hot, he'd get benched for for no discernible reason. Um, and when he was when he was having a bad game and clearly was in a situation where it was like, hey, this 19 year old kid is 
really struggling out there and needs to get off the floor, he wouldn't take him off the floor. Um, that was really the, the biggest problem is that he, he I think, used those two players incorrectly and at the wrong times. Yeah, and another thing, another thing that kid has done over the course of the entire season that's also kind of translating the playoffs is playing Mirza Toledovic and Giannis together because of the gravity that Mirza commands as a shooter. Like he plays the four, but his three point attempt rate is off the charts. Like if Mirza gets the ball, Mirza's putting it up. Shooters shoot, and Mirza is a shooter, and that helped Giannis so much by stretching out the defense and creating open lanes. But Kid just didn't play them together. Kid would play Mirza with Monroe off the bench and with Delhi as the point guard instead of Giannis and with Michael Beasley together, which, like, you know, I loved Michael Beasley. I thought he had a nice little renaissance in Milwaukee. I wish him luck in New York, but that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, give Giannis a shooter to play with. Why would you, like, why would you actively not give your best player his best compliment? Arguably, right. uh, that that was one of the, uh, a common complaint. It's a, it's just it's hard to evaluate him because, like you said, he's like guys just kind of appear in and out of, of his rotation at sort of random points. And it was also, I mean, great for Thon, but also kind of weird that Monroe played almost all the minutes and yet didn't start. I mean, there's a, a lot of rotations were confusing. They also have, of course, the high risk style of defense that will be endlessly debated for forever. Um, at the same time. The players seem to like him, and a lot of the young players have improved under him. So it's hard to see, like, kind of. It's one of those coaches that I think is really tough to evaluate because they are particularly effective at things that perhaps are e- less easy for us to notice, um, and they're particularly ineffective at things like rotations and who, why is this player playing and stuff that are easy for us to notice. So it's an interesting thought, but I think it pales in comparison to what happened this summer with the front office, and so. Mitchell, what's, can you just give a little recap of what exactly happened, like so people we can could understand. probably spend the whole we could probably spend the whole podcast on this if we wanted to. Probably could. I'm trying to keep it simple, but like what what actually happened this summer? So super high level, uh, and this is all based on reporting and rumors. So this is my best way of piecing everything together after the fact. You know, if you ask somebody in the Bucks, they might tell you something different. But here's what happened. Uh, a couple of years back, the team hired Justin Zanuck, who was with the Utah Jazz, to be assistant GM to John Hammond, uh, who is currently the GM of the Orlando Magic. Well, that's weird. How do you get to Orlando? Well, you see, John Hammond had the ability to interview with Orlando, and the Bucks just let him. And they said, you know, if you want to go try it out in Orlando, that's fine. And he said, okay, and he did. And so he got the job, and so the team knew that they were going to have to replace Hammond as general manager at some point. I don't think that they truly thought it was going to happen this soon. And so they kind of got caught in a pickle where, okay, well, you know, this happened a little bit earlier, but there's a succession plan except where they didn't have the succession plan because it turns out that Justin Zanuck didn't have full buy-in from everybody in the ownership group. According to Woj, uh, the person that was the biggest, uh, detractor for Zanuck was Wes Edens, one of the majority owners. And there are how many owners, real quick, just to back up, there are how many members of this ownership group that have real sway? It's three, two? There's three principal owners that have the most say. Like, there's a, there's a really large group, but the three owners that have the most say are Wes Edens, Mark Lazary, and Jamie Dynan. Okay. Uh, those are the three names that you need to know. Uh, Wes Edens is uh, reportedly the guy who said no, 
not Zanuck. It can't be Zanuck. Zanuck's not the guy. Why not? And so the team what was, was like, wrong with Zanuck ah, in his eyes? I, that is a great question for somebody in the Eden's camp. I simply don't know. Uh, Zanuck has, has a good reputation in the league. Uh, helped build the Utah Jazz into what the Ju- Utah Jazz are now, you know, before Gordon Hayward left for the East. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he was widely considered, he was a former agent, like generally considered to be a good candidate for a GM position for whatever reason. And I'm sure it's the sort of thing that happens behind closed doors, like in the workplace where all these people are working together that we on the outside just can't see. Uh, Zanuck just didn't have everybody sold on him so the team went through and did their search and eventually settled on promoting john horst who john horst who was an understudy to john hammond and uh, has uh his expertise is on the salary cap um, but he's a guy who is very very young has no experience whatsoever uh in the front office outside of milwaukee where he's only been i think for six or seven years possibly longer he's in his 30s um, right just, he's very he's like 34 oh, yeah. 33 yeah yeah he's basically my age which is very troubling when i know <laughs> that the gm of an nba team that i love so dearly is basically in my age bracket mm-hmm. um so that that's like a three minute summary of the just and how disjointed my explanation of it. Just it really reflects how messy the entire offseason was for the front office. There was also they wanted to interview David Griffin, but the Cavs would not let him. And of course, then the, he became a free agent after they picked up the. They decided to go with uh, John Hoist. Is that his name? John Hoist. Uh, Horst. 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 Um. Yeah. So. Man, that's a lot right there. Hey, but if we're looking for a silver lining here, if his if John Horst's thing is that he's a salary cap expert, boy, do the Bucks need a GM who is that? Yeah, true. That's true. They are in a weird because they they hand out some rough contracts in 2016, and now they ducked under the luxury tax just barely, and they're going to have tax problems going forward. And of course, they have expensive contracts on the horizon. So. I, here's my question to you, Kevin. Like, why, why should um, people who only care about how the Bucks look in the next four years care about all this front office drama? I mean, ultimately, it's a general manager. Like, what about this is actually important for the four-year window that you, they're now in with Giannis? Well, they're going to have to be really creative to uh, both put new talent around Giannis and keep the 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 good talent that they have because of the the bad contracts they handed out uh the the good news is that uh moose is expiring um i you know i don't i don't think he's a a bad player or anything but clearly he makes too much money for what the bucks are trying to do um the bigger problems are john henson mirza toledovich and matthew delavidova who yep. together take up about $30 million in cap space, and uh, none of them are particularly particularly great. Uh, Mears is not terrible. He's a, he's a nice player, too. As you know, as Mitch pointed out, he fits pretty well with, with Giannis, but he probably makes too much money for what he is. And uh, Henson and Deli are, you know, NBA backups who uh, it's, it's bad that the Bucks are giving them as much money as they are, and they're probably not tradable. 
That should answer Enno Carter's question about uh, Henson. Yes, does Henson have any trade value? I think the answer is no. no. Not <laughs> at this point, uh, I yeah, really thought he was going to gonna trade be John Henson. I thought he was going to be yeah, good. Yeah, so did the Bucks. That's why they gave him a four-year, forty-four million dollar extension, and he's done nothing with it. He's I did not. I did not think that Henson was going to be good. Um, watching him in in college, uh, next to both playing against and playing next to guys that were considerably smaller than him, out-rebounding him, just out-hustling him constantly. I was uh, I was pretty appalled by the contract. All right. Well, you are smarter than me at that because I thought it was a fair contract. Um, and so, this is why you should watch more college basketball, Mike. As it should be. And maybe we should switch jobs. I can cover soccer instead. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, so that's, that's all really true. And I think it just – we to circle back to kind of where we start with it's you know it's a challenge it's going to be a challenge with some of the holes they got put in and without Hammond who's proven to be very good at identifying talent like Giannis and and McCurr in the draft there's all that and I think also I mean in the big picture I think we talked about this at the jump like there's so much new about the Bucks right now and so much about what they're trying to do in their community to kind of get a stranglehold on the market. They've got the new arena coming up. They have, you said, a new practice facility. I mean, you can run run through again, Mitchell, all the new things they have. And they have, I would say, a very unique opportunity. I know that's not something you can technically have. Um, a unique opportunity where they have this great player and they have, they're in, they're in the small market crutch that you see so many teams now are struggling with, uh, with guys that have been traded this summer. The Bucks are not there yet, but now they've got, this is their one opportunity these next few years. I think on the site, you had a really good series that was sort of like why explaining why this summer, even though the team is super young and they just had a great year is like pivotal for the future. And how much of that ties into all the other stuff that's going on with the franchise? Sure. No, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, the summer of 2017 was a crossroads because of how it's going to set the table for the years to come. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is something we started talking about back in May as you know, the bucks were nearing, you know, their off season, even, you know, the playoffs were still going on, but you know, the bucks weren't going to make the finals. So why not get started looking forward? Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's just a ton of questions that still need to be answered. And the team was in a position where they could have, either set themselves really well for the future or set themselves up very poorly for the future. Uh, I think that the answer is still inconclusive. There's no way to know. Uh, you know, Giannis is here. Giannis is here for at least four years, unless something unthinkable happens. And, you know, that that's the team's ticket towards NBA relevance, not even success, just relevance. Right. So they've got to figure out, okay, well, who are we going to pair with him? How are we going to, you know, accentuate his strengths? How are we going to make up for his weaknesses? And the answer that the team has come up with is continuity, which I kind of said at the outset where they kept a lot of the team together and all of the main players are back here. But, you know, questions about Jabari Parker's future in Milwaukee have not yet been answered. Questions about whether Thon McCurr is what we saw, you know, towards the second half of last season, you know, is that real or was that a flash in the pan? Same with Malcolm Brogdon. He won rookie of the year, uh, deservedly, in my opinion. Sorry, oh, Philly fans. Oh, but it's a good thing Ben's it. not here anymore because he, for some reason, hates the dude because he's mad about that. Whatever. It, like, and if Embiid can't stay on the floor, he can't win the rookie of the year. That's yeah, just the way on, it fire is. Fire him off while he, while he can't respond. I want to, I, I love this. <laughs> this is great. Uh, yeah, no, anyway, you were saying, uh, but, but is there, there's, there's so much that the bucks could 
do to put themselves in a better position. But of course, that's all fraught with risk, right? And Kevin mentioned the salary cap issues, particularly the contracts due to Henson, Toledovich, and Delavadova. If a team had found a way to get out from under one of those to kind of give themselves more flexibility going forward, that would have been spectacular, right? Um, but they didn't, and that's okay too. That might be the right choice. We simply don't know yet. Another thing that they had a chance to do, and this is one of the most interesting developments of the offseason, is that there was chatter where whether or not it was, you know, legitimate or not is, you know, unknown to us. But there's chatter about the Bucks being involved with Kyrie Irving oh, when right. talks that's between right. Cleveland and Boston were uh in flux. You know, if the Bucks were able to give up, you know, a considerable package for Irving, which uh, the rumor, I think this was also a Zach Lowe report. I think it was a few different people reported it. Yeah, yeah a, few, a few different people. It was uh, Middleton, Brogdon, unprotected first. That's a lot. But for the chance to add another bona fide star who has his flaws, as Kyrie does, but the, the chance to add another bona fide star to a squad that already has one in Giannis, it, it's a chance you just have to go for it, even if it doesn't work out. Um, so I'm glad as much as, I, that, as, as much as I love Brogdon and like that would have hurt if that trade was on the table because uh, of like it, they decided that Thomas injury was too bad. They couldn't do it. And that that Kyrie trade was on the table for the Bucks. I would have done it. They Oh, me too. In a heartbeat. Yeah, it's very much a trade that's like, yeah, we got Giannis and we've got to maximize this. And I think yeah. it's and all that is, I think, so important in a market like Milwaukee, too. You know, it, it's just not. It's not the same sort of urgency. I think it's more urgent than it would be if you're in a big market. And I think that's right. Because here's, here's the thing. I mean, you mentioned urgency. And that's why this is the important summer and why you know, Woj's report about the clock ticking struck a chord with so many people because the clock is ticking. Milwaukee fans respond to results. All of the work that the Bucks have been doing in the community and all of the promotional stuff and the branding stuff they've been doing has been great. has been the right move for the team. But it's not going to grow the fan base and make people follow the team more closely and you know go to games and pull for the squad and anything else unless they start showing results. And so that's where everybody's focus, I think, should be. And I would like to think that they're on the right path. Um, yeah, it's it's you know it's September. It's too early to tell. And I think this is influenced by the the other two teams, pro teams in the market, kind of being historically more popular and in like the way that they've they've run in their recent results kind of influencing this where you have the Packers who have lucked into two of the probably five greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL back to back uninterrupted true and that's what the fan and that's what the fans are used to and on the other end you have the the Brewers who despite all of the promise great prospects uh an MVP have perpetually sucked uh, and have, you know, failed to deliver on their on their promise consistently for 25 years. Um, so those are the the two ends of the spectrum that you are looking at in Wisconsin sports. And in the middle, you have the Bucks, who are who are neither of those things. Um, and because of that, fans are thinking like, you know, if if Giannis is really like MVP caliber and they win a playoff series, I'm in. But until I see it, like I don't really care. Right, and it, you also have to throw in Wisconsin football and basketball as well into that mix. Yeah, true. That's a big draw too. Yeah, a huge draw, and consistently, even though neither is a national championship contender, usually, you know, both of those teams, Wisconsin football and men's basketball, are always good. They never suck. Right. Uh, so there's that too. Yeah, 
It's, it's all just fascinating. It's why I'm so interested in this team. Um, one really quick hitter before we get to the our favorite banana boat question. Um, you excited about Giannis' signature shoes? They're coming soon. He's got the bidding. Um, would you buy them? Yeah, I haven't seen. Are there any like rumors or models out there? So he's his contract with Nike is up. So I think that's when everyone mm. starts to bid later this month. And and I'm just fascinated to see what his signature, how he's branded, and who ends up paying the piper for him. When frankly, signature shoes aren't really selling all that much right now. So do you think we're gonna see like the Under Armour, Adidas, whatever like pitches to him leak? I hope so. <laughs> Hopefully they spell his name right, like unlike Nike did with Steph Curry. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I'm just, I don't know. Does this, would you buy, I guess you'd have to see what they'd look like, but um, would you buy Giannis' signature shoes? What should they be called? The Euro Steps? No, Greek Freaks. They're Freaks. Yeah, the Greek. The Greek Freaks. They're, yeah, they're the Freaks for short. That's obviously what the name has to be. Ooh, okay. That's good. I'd still like the Euro, Euro Step 1s, but... The Greek freaks are good. Um, anyway, I'm excited for those. I'm curious. If Buck, it, it'd also be sort of a triumph, I think, for, you know, you can't sell shoes in a market like Milwaukee um, if he gets a big deal. So that, I think, might be another source of pride, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a handful of sneakerheads in Milwaukee. You can definitely sh- sell shoes in Milwaukee. I and mean, I'm not saying that it's yes. a fair criticism. I'm just saying that you hear that all the time. Anyway, uh, let's get to our favorite question, uh, which we ask everyone on the show. You're allowed to pick three members of Buck's history to join you on your banana boat, like a la the uh, banana boat team of D. Wade. I guess he wasn't technically on the boat, which a listener has pointed out to us. Uh, or was it Mel? Did he take the picture, though? Yeah. I, I forget. what One of them was not on the boat. Anyway, CP, LeBron, all that. So you get to pick three others to join you on your boat from Buck's history. Kevin, who you got? Uh, I'm assuming that current players are not uh, not allowed. No, you can pick current players. Because, uh, I don't know, maybe Mitchell disagrees with me, but for, for most of Buck's history, we haven't exactly had the uh, the biggest personalities on the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, <laughs> like, not, on, not only are, are like, Giannis and, uh, and Brogdon, like, the most, like, some couple of the best players that the Bucks have ever had, they're probably the most interesting players, like, as people that the Bucks have had sure. in, in my lifetime. Uh, even when we've had really, really good players, which we haven't had many of them, they haven't been, I mean, they've, they've been good people, but not like the kind of guys that I want to, like, you know, party with. Not true. Very true. You know, somebody like Michael, like Michael Red, it seems like a really great dude, but not like somebody that I think I would be, like, best friends with if we hung out. Um, or, uh, or Andrew Bogut would be just awkward. Yeah, Andrew Bogut's honestly the closest thing that the Bucks have had to like a, a cool, like big personality over the last what about ten like years. Sam Cassell? Before. Yeah, Sam Cassell is okay. Nice guy. That's a good like. That's a good shout. Um, okay, so I'm gonna. I got my three. Uh, I'll, the one I'm gonna take from the current team is is Giannis. Um, the the smoothie tweet is my favorite tweet on Twitter of all time. <laughs> um, and just like all of the, you know, like all the stuff he does with his with his family and his brothers, like he just seems like a super nice dude, like loves the he loves the city. He he just seems like he's having fun all the time. He's always happy. He's always smiling yeah. like he's never going to be a drag. Uh, second guy I want on my banana boat is tractor trailer. Who <laughs> nice. I think it's I think it's overlooked as like a personality because he was such a big 
bust and because everybody knows about the the Dirk trade where the Bucks should have had Dirk Nowitzki and ended up with with Robert Trailer and everyone's really disappointed about that but like definitely a guy who lived life to its fullest and uh probably has a lot of interesting stories from playing in Puerto Rico, Mexico, Spain, Italy like that dude's been been everywhere and uh even though he was you know criticized for his his fitness and lack of commitment to that uh seemed like a dude who really genuinely loved basketball and just loved uh loved traveling loved everything about about life so uh, i would love to hang out with tractor trailer and uh my third one would be would be kareem uh clearly a guy with a great with a great sense of humor who's uh you know very interesting very well read uh like a guy who I think would have something interesting to say about basically any any topic that you presented to him. That's a good list. Uh, Mitchell, who you got? Uh, so Giannis is definitely on the list as well. I'm, I'm not going to relitigate all of the excellent points that Kevin made about Giannis being one of my three. Uh, second one would be Marcus Johnson. Uh, okay. He was a big, big, great player for the team back in the day, back in the 80s. Uh, currently, it does commentary now for the team. He's usually paired up with Gus Johnson. Uh, anytime you get Marcus and Gus on the game together, it's going to be a fun time, regardless of how well the Bucks play. Uh, they're excellent together, and he's got a ton of stories. And the third one, we haven't mentioned him, and we haven't mentioned him for good reason. He's on the team now, Rashad Vaughn. And I only say this because he is just—he's a goofy character. He's always like on the periphery, just kind of doing something that makes me laugh. There's actually a GIF on Twitter of him giving an interview to the media. And he just stops and he starts dancing because Thon McCurr started playing music on his phone next to him. And he just completely left the conversation. And that, that's the kind of free spirit I want to party with. Interesting. I would not have expected that, but that is a good uh, defense of it. And you also have to think, and I've said this on a lot of shows, you have to think about a group that works well together, right? You know, you can't have, sure. you can't have three people that want to do all the talking. You know, it's just like an NBA team. You know, you have to think about the chemistry. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, no Sam Cassell in any of these. I, I think I think it's also sort of you can't have Cassell as sort of a dominant personality on these things, and you have to have a certain vibe if you want to get him on the boat. And I'll have to keep thinking about other players because you're right. It's not stuff doesn't immediately jump out as like, oh, we got to get. I mean, maybe Michael Beasley, I guess. But that, you know, <laughs> Ooh, Beasley would be fun too. Beasley would be a lot of fun. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, I'm curious what Bucks fans would say. All right, let's get to predictions and all that stuff. It sounds like we asked, we like to ask a lot of these people. It's like, what's a successful season for ever, for the Bucks? And it sounds like for this is fairly clear. They win around the playoffs, uh, and Giannis continues to grow and all this stuff. Is that a successful season? If that's the case, like, what's the best case scenario uh, without something that's totally unexpected? And what's the worst case scenario for this year without like? massive without Giannis missing 60 games in your minds I think the best case scenario is winning winning two playoff series and you know falling to whoever the the best team is whether that's probably going to be Cleveland but Cleveland or Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals um if if the Bucks could if one of those two teams ends up being a little less good than advertised and the the Bucks beat them in a second round series I think that's the that's the absolute best case scenario um Worst case scenario without catastrophic injuries, uh, I mean, it's still going to be above 500 and a and a five or six seed. I think that's the the worst that can happen if Giannis doesn't get injured. Mitchell, you agree? 
No, I definitely agree. Uh, my barometer for success, because the playoffs are such a small sample size, like stuff can happen in the playoffs. So I'm not going to put too much importance on it, but they have to go for 50 wins. They just 50 wins has to be the new expectation. They have to make that the new standard. Huh. Yes, that's a that, that's, eight game improvement. It is an eight game improvement. Absolutely. It's, it's a significant jump. It really is. And it's not one to be taken lightly. But in order for the team to be taken seriously and take themselves seriously as they go forward, you know, through Giannis's early career, um, 50 wins has to be what they go for. And as you get to 50 wins, you get a higher seed, you get more advantageous matchups in the playoffs. You know, you're a better team as a result because you figured out how to win games together. And that'll lead you to win, you know, one series and then two and then get to the conference finals. Um, worst case scenario, you know, the team putters around and wins, you know, mid 40s. They don't necessarily do anything more interesting. You know, you see some Giannis and Chris and maybe Jabari comes back and things don't quite work out and nobody really looks like they get better. Like if we end the next season the same way that we ended this season, that by itself would be a massive failure because the team simply doesn't have time to waste. That is, I would say, it's interesting you put it that way. I think those are high expectations, but like you said, understandable ones given the timetable, but I... I don't know. I, I think it's possible that they just sort of are what they were last year. I don't think it likely. Going back to to the Jason Kidd discussion real quick, um, we talked about how if you know if he is a good coach and he is the right fit for the Bucks, then his value is in making players better, which he's apparently done so far. And if the Bucks don't you know sputter out, then I think that's an an indictment on him with the players that are either really young or coming back from injury because you have Brogdon, McCurr, Middleton, who should all, you know, if the if there's a good situation in the locker room and there's a good coach, those guys should all get better. Um, so if those guys don't all get better, I think that's uh, that's not a good sign for the future of Jason Kidd. That's absolutely true. This is a big season for him. I guess the question will end up being, will ownership who seems to like him you know want to keep him around if things don't go well uh so let's just more likely that they're the three seed or the six seed in your minds Ooh, man if they i'm gonna be so i'm gonna be a homer and say be, three seed three seed man three seed is a big ass because that means you have to be better than cleveland or boston or washington possibly toronto but probably not toronto Ugh. But I mean, the East got bad this year too. I'm going to say three. Yeah, three I'm going to say three seed because just if they get the six seed, it's just ugh, what happened. Yeah, yeah, right. They were the six seed last year, and Atlanta like definitely got worse. Certainly yes. did. And there's no reason. Of course, Miami is also in the picture there. You have to think about them. Maybe Charlotte will get better. But yeah, I think six seed. I, I would say it's probably this. I don't know. It's a good question because. As good as the Wizards were last year, I think there is a world where they take a little step back and Milwaukee takes a step forward, and they're both in the mid forties. And I mean, if you told me to to guess what seed the Bucks are going to be, I would guess four. Four. That sounds about right to me as well. Um, yeah, same. Which makes which makes three slightly more likely than six. Okay. So, uh, real quick, how many wins? Fifty. It has yeah, to be. It, it, I I don't I don't realistically believe. 50, but I'm saying 50 because the expectation should be 50. Yeah, I mean, if we're saying four seed is is the prediction, uh, 
the Wizards were the four seed on 49 wins last year. Raptors were the three seed with 51. Um, so, yeah, I think 50 wins should be the goal for the Bucks. All right. I'm going to say 46 without thinking about it very much. That's pretty realistic, though. I hope. Yeah, and probably put, them on, probably put them on the five seed. Yeah. I mean, it could be the four seed. <laughs> the East is real bad. Um, the East got real bad. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting. I... I'll be watching either way. I think we did a really – you guys are really helpful to kind of show people that, yeah, this team has a great young player and they're fun and they're different and, like, we all love watching them. Uh, but there is also a sense of urgency with so much stuff going on that I don't think people fully appreciate. So this is a huge season for them. And I will be watching this storyline very closely all year, also because I just cannot stop watching Giannis Antetokounmpo cover the length of the court in three steps. Uh, it's just – it is amazing to watch, but yet you also see that he's in Milwaukee and they're four years on the clock. And you look around the league and you see all these small market players going to big to big markets, you know, with Paul George and I guess not Jimmy Butler, but you know, all these cousins and you know, these 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 stars are moving around and you know, it, it's just a very intriguing year. I'm really glad you guys are able to join us on this podcast that I've been super looking forward to. Um, hey, Mitch, where can they, Mitch and Kevin, where can they, Mitchell and Kevin, excuse me, where can they find you? Anything that's coming up on uh, Brew Hoop or anything basketball related that you want to plug? Uh, I mean, we're finishing up at brewhoop.com. We're finishing up our roster value rankings. So you can swing on by and check out how uh, all the members of the Brew Hoop community have ranked players uh, 1 through 15. Uh, I think we all know who one is, but it's interesting to see where the middle of the roster lies. So go go over to Brew Hoop and check that out, and then stick with us as we get started with the season in a couple of weeks. DJ Wilson. DJ Wilson, number one. <laughs> uh, number eight is... Yeah, we didn't name. even talk about DJ Wilson. What is there to say about DJ Wilson? I mean, let, let's, let, let's see something before we talk about DJ Wilson. Fair enough. Okay. I'm a believer, though. Yeah. He, okay. he played well in college. He's an interesting player. He's a very Milwaukee-esque sort of pick. He is, he is very intriguing, yes. Yeah. Uh, and Kevin is obviously doing great work with our soccer section. We're going to save the discussion about how pathetic uh, Southampton is for another time. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Yeah, it's been a rough start. Uh, and I don't want to have the pity party out yet. Um, <laughs> God, you're already getting me going on this. Um, it's my own fault. I chose them as a team. I could have picked like a good team, like you you did. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> it's my own fault. Um, I had to pick the team that sells everyone. Uh, anyway, this was the Milwaukee Bucks podcast. We got Atlanta and Memphis coming up next, and then Oklahoma City, another team that we're very excited to talk about. But this was the Milwaukee Bucks. Kevin McCauley, Mitchell Maurer. This is a limited upside podcast. <laughs>